Well, good morning again, church. I'm going to ask you to bring out your Bibles or power on your phone and uh, open up your Bible app, however you're looking at God's Word this morning, and find your way to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're a far cry from where we began this series last week, but as is the case with a series of this nature, being a, a doctrinal series, we are going to find ourselves each Sunday in a different place in God's Word, seeing, as we have said, what God's Word has to say about itself. And so as we began this new series last week on Sola Scriptura, that is... Our goal, that is our focus, that is our theme in this series, is to see what God's Word says about itself and then to let that be our interpretation of how we live in light of God's Word. All right? So we're seeing what God's Word says about itself and then letting that be the driving force in the interpretation of how we live in light of God's Word. In 1516, the Dutch philosopher Erasmus printed the first published edition of the Greek New Testament. And this was one of the key sparks that ignited the flames of the Reformation. And it is no coincidence that one year after Erasmus published his Greek New Testament... In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the doors of the church in Wittenberg. One of the defining moments of the Reformation. And there is one common thread which we see in the motivation of all the Reformers. One common thread that continues to link each story that we're going to look at as we move through this series. I want to make sure and highlight some of these stories and these testimonies for us. Because these are things that we should know and celebrate what God has done and what God did in this time in history and preserving His Word. There's one common thread through all of that. And that is their being confronted with the truth of Scripture. It is their relationship with God's Word which sparks, therefore, then their conviction to act in accordance to it. Speaking on Martin Luther, Pastor John Piper noted this. Luther had one weapon with which to rescue this gospel from being sold in the markets of Wittenberg. Scripture. He drove out the money changers, the indulgent sellers, with the whip of the Word of God, the Bible. This morning, we're going to see that God's Word is a complete and unified story given to us as a gift of God's grace. We'll see that God has given His Word, spoken through men, for the express purpose of us hearing, knowing, and understanding His Word so that we may do it. As you can see, if you look at the top of your outline this morning, hopefully you picked one up on your way in. That'll be our guide and the answers will be on the screen behind me. But as you can see, that's the title for this morning's sermon, that we may hear it and do it. And you'll see exactly where that comes from here in just a little bit as we read our text. But we'll be challenged by that humbling reality that God has providentially given His Word 
in such a way as to leave us without excuse and without our own merit. So we, let us turn our attention now to God's Word. I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 30, our text being verses 11 through 20 this morning. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, as we are encountered by the truths of this text this morning, as it lands fresh on our hearts, I pray that you would keep our minds and our hearts sharply focused on your word. Help me to clearly and accurately communicate the truths that you have laid out here for us. Let none of us propose a barrier to your word, but let us hear it and let us do it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. So I want to spend some time, I think it's incredibly important, especially within the context of a series like this, in which we're finding ourselves in a different position of Scripture each week to contextualize exactly what we're reading. Now, I, as you know, that's important to me every Sunday, even when we were, you know, moving through a, a single book. I contextualize. We go back, talk about what we talked about the week before, kind of where we're at in the, the context of the verses that we're analyzing. But it's especially important in a series like this when we're kind of moving around from testament to testament, from book to book, to, to know exactly what we're reading when we jump into the middle of a story here. So Moses here is speaking to the people of Israel in the context of renewing the covenant between them and God before they enter the promised land. 
All right, so Moses speaking to the people of Israel here. Yes, they've renewed the covenant and they're getting ready to enter the promised land. This is coming after the wandering in the desert. This is coming after the uh, events of the Exodus and is after everything that takes place in between those two big events, right? So he wants to point them to that more sure foundation which God has already provided. So as they've renewed the covenant, they're getting ready and to enter the land. He wants to point them to that more sure foundation which God has provided and which will keep them tethered to their covenant duties. This is where he wants to point the children as they're getting ready to go because he's getting ready himself to leave them. So he points them to the law. He points them to God's word. The word given from God on Mount Sinai, which was a sign of his grace and to be their foremost authority. He points them to what God has given them already. Going all the way back, if you will, we'll backtrack just a little bit to contextualize. You can go back to chapter 27. There's a few uh, chapters to your left there. We kind of see Moses' words to the people. So chapter 27, verse 1, we see this. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people. So there's Moses and the elders. They're gathered here and they're commanding the people, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So keep it today and let it be your driving force and your focus as you go and enter this land. So today and evermore. You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. Verse 3. And you shall write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey. As the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. So he's saying, you shall set up a permanent reminder of exactly what it is that you are to be living according to, uh, what it is that is binding you in this moment. You are to set this up, plaster this up, set up a reminder on Mount Ebal so that when you enter that promised land, you never forget what has brought you there and what will keep you there. So here we read Moses and the elders, they're reciting the law, reminding them what God has given them to separate them as the covenant people of God. Because when the covenant people of God live according to the ways of the world rather than according to the ways of God, well then what differentiation is there between the covenant people of God and the people of the world? There is none. And so God gives his law. Say, so that all the nations may know that as you live according to my law and my ways, all the nations will see and know that I am God. So Moses then proceeds to lay out for the people the explicit blessings and curses. That's what comes after verse 4 there. He begins to lay out for them all the blessings and curses that await them depending on on their obedience to the word. 
You see, and you move there through those blessings and curses. We see all these blessings, all these curses. We go to verse 26 of chapter 28. So we move through the blessing and curses. We move to chapter 28 and verse 26 as we continue to approach our text for this morning. Continue to see the context here. So we see these incredibly harsh curses that are to be laid out for the people if they do not obey the word of the Lord. We see here that these curses, if you look at verse, let's just look at chapter 28, verses 1 through 14, you see all the blessings that await them. The blessings that have already been explicitly given as the word was given, the blessings that come with living in obedience to the word. Well, then you start at verse 15 of chapter 28, and you keep going, and you keep going, So from verse 15 to verse 68 of chapter 28 is all the curses that await the people if they live against God's word. And we see this. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. But... If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So there's clear differentiation between those who obey God's word and what awaits them and those who disobey God's word and what awaits them. And here it's the context of the covenant people of God. So if you live within the covenant boundaries... This, these are the blessings that await you. But if you live according to your own law, these are the curses, the many multiplied curses that await you. So then we move to chapter 29. In chapter 29, Moses and the elders begin to recount how God had faithfully provided for their every need in bringing them to this moment. And then Moses says this before leading us into today's text. So verse 29 of chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So don't don't miss that. That's the context within which then we move into chapter 30, is that Moses says, the secret things, the things we don't understand, those belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, where God has revealed himself, where he has made himself known in his covenant with us, those belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So there's express expectation of obedience to the word of the Lord. And there is expressed knowledge that what God has laid forth is what his people are to do and that it stands eternal. So then we move into chapter 30. 
The heart of what Moses is trying to do in galvanizing the people in this moment is to get them to realize that they, just like their ancestors who fled Egypt and bowed to a golden calf, are without excuse. They are without excuse because God has made his standards readily available and easily understood. That's what we move to verse 11, our, our first verse of this morning's text. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. So from the garden to this moment here with Moses to this very moment that we stand in today, man's desire has been not to honor, worship, and praise the sovereignty of God, but rather to struggle, toil, and desire our own sovereignty. And at this moment, as I've said, the people are preparing to enter the promised land. Moses is getting ready to die. Joshua is getting ready to take up command. God has brought them this far by graciously providing for their every need, including giving them his law. And yet, they refuse to enter the promised land for fear of man rather than fear of God. And so to, to rightly realign their fear, to rightly realign their allegiance, to pierce their hearts, Moses reminds them of just how clearly God's word speaks. That's our first point on our outline this morning is that God's word speaks with clarity. God's word speaks with clarity. Because God's word is distinct in that God has made it so that his word is that light shining in a dark place. Just as we saw Peter aptly describe last week in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 where we read, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When true light shines in pure darkness, there is a distinct difference between that which is in the light and that which is still shrouded by darkness. A clear and evident boundary as to where the light is and where the light is not. This is the type of clarity with which God's word speaks. And that it illuminates that which it lands on. This is what God's word is for us in a world in which there is so much gray and nuance and ambiguity. God's word speaks with refreshing clarity on those things which would bring us from darkness into his marvelous light. What is clear here is that God's word speaks with clarity because God has made his word knowable. This is what Moses wants the people to realize. That it is God who has brought us this far. It is God who has given us his word by his grace and has made himself known to us. God has made his word knowable. By his power, grace, and providence, God has created us with the capacity 
to know him. As our creator, he has created us with the necessary capacity to know him and to know his word. In the garden, we see God graciously give Adam and Eve his word so as to guard them, keep them, and bind them. And this statement from Moses regarding God's covenant law to his covenant people is not an isolated definition. Meaning it's not just true here. It's not just true of the law. But it's true of God's word in its totality. God's word is not some burdensome, unknowable collection of abstract stories and ideas and principles. In fact, God rejects thinking of his word in such a way. Rather, he has given revelation of himself through men who spoke from God that man may know God and give him the worship and praise due his name. God's word itself is a precious gift of his grace to us and that he has given us the capacity to know him And he has given us his word that we may understand it and through it have a greater understanding of who he is. He has given it that we may know it. It is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. God says this of his own word through the prophet Isaiah. If you just want to make a note, Isaiah 48 verse 16 Isaiah 48, verse 16, we read this. God says this of his own word. Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So that's Isaiah speaking there at the end of what God has said, saying, now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. This is similar to the idea of what we saw Peter saying last week in 2 Peter. And God is saying here of himself, from the beginning, I've not spoken in secret. I've not been shrouded. I've not been hidden. But I have made myself plainly and clearly known. And Isaiah says, and now through his spirit, the Lord has given me to speak. The standards and truths which God has set forth in his word are not so lofty that you must obtain a seminary degree to ascertain them, church. God has made it so that his word, his law, and his unchanging truth are easy enough for a child to understand. Yet at the same time, it displays the grandeur and wisdom and power which go far beyond our grasp. And this is indeed what Moses continues to explain as we pick back up in verse 12. So he says, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. God is not 
kept his word held within the heavens that it should be far out of our reach, though that is what we deserve. Nor has he placed it in our realm, but out of our reach. God has given revelation of himself. He has made himself known in his word. And he speaks through his word. Which brings us to our next point on our outline this morning. Is that God has made his word noble and God has made his word accessible. He has made it accessible. God has made it so that those whose hearts he draws unto himself will not have to search far to find his word. They will not have to search hard to understand his word because he provides the necessary understanding. He has provided us the capacity to know him and he's provided us the avenue through which to use that capacity to know him. And this is why the enemy has worked so hard roaming about throughout history to limit access to God's word. Because God has wired us to know him and comprehend his word and has made his word so accessible that all that God has providentially declared necessary for us to know him, he has made plain within his word. Are there things which are hard at times for us to grasp? Absolutely. Are there things at times which it takes us many days or weeks or decades of mining away at God's word until we uncover that diamond of truth? Absolutely. Why? Because our flesh gets in the way. We're so easily distracted. We're so gullible to believe the lies of the enemy. That those too shroud the truth of God's word. But that is not God who has shrouded his word. He has made his word known. And he has made his word accessible. It is just as the brightest light piercing the darkest darkness. So that when we hear and we read God's word, our hearts are pierced as it reveals our sin and calls us to that standard of holiness which would have us praising God in every aspect. Now the wording here is providentially interesting because Moses says here, it's not in heaven that you say who would ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us. But what Paul points out is that no one had to ascend to heaven to bring it to us. Rather, heaven condescended to us. Because Paul quotes these verses in Romans 10. If you'll turn there, uh, for, we'll be there just for a little bit. Romans 10. Or the verses will be on the screen behind me. Romans 10, verse 1. So Paul quotes these verses and connects all of this to Christ. So he's first speaking on the unbelief of Israel in chapter 9, there at the end of chapter 9. And then here he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses, verse 5, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. So Paul here interprets the verses for us. Right? So who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul says he's made it known. He sent Christ. This is what is displayed here in the gospel. That the gospel is known. It's readily available. It's in your mouth. It is on your hearts. That all those who the Father draws know And do not have to search far to find his word. In Christ, God has given us all we need to know him. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He is that word which was with God in the beginning, through whom which all things were created that have been created. And Paul points to Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of the word and the ultimate fulfillment of what Moses commands here to the Israelites. We must challenge ourselves by asking. Because here's the key. I don't want you to miss this, this challenge question which I want us to pose to ourselves. Is that we can read God's word and we can in our minds say to ourselves that we believe that this is God's word. But when we read God's word, are we reading it with him as the main character and the main focus? We must challenge ourselves by asking, am I reading God's word as if I am the main character? As if its purpose is to provide me with something? Or am I reading God's word with my eyes squarely fixed on the triune God who has revealed himself in it that I may give him all the praise? Because God's word does provide us with something and we should look to it for provision. And the provision that it gives us and what we should look for it to provide is clarity on God's sufficiency, sovereignty, power, and praiseworthiness in all things. And this is what Moses continues to elaborate as we look at verse 14. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. 
I want to be very clear on this point because this could easily be twisted or manipulated to, to think. And, and, but Paul clearly interprets that text for us. And that this is not saying that we possess on our own the necessary ability to live in complete obedience to God's word and therefore save ourselves. This is not uh, advocating for some form of works-based salvation. As Paul clearly outlines that for us in reading and quoting and interpreting this text. Nor am I implying that we possess the ability to live in harmony with God in and of ourselves. What verse 14 makes clear is that God's word leaves us without self-justification. The problem lays within our hearts, church. Even though God's word is distinct in that he has made it accessible and knowable, we do not obey. It is very near you in your mouth, on your heart, so that you can do it. We choose to worship ourselves and obey our own law. And as I said earlier, pursue our sovereignty rather than submitting to God's sovereignty. If you just backtrack a little bit, Moses outlines this himself in verse 6 here of chapter 30. We'll start back at verse 1 and we'll work our way to verse 6. So verse 1 of chapter 30 says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the people's where the Lord your God has scattered you. And so he goes on and he says, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So what is necessary to walk in obedience to God's word? A heart that has been providentially circumcised by God, that has had the flesh cut away, that has been pierced by the truth of God's word. What is necessary is not just in, able in and of ourselves. What is necessary here is clear heart surgery. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. It is not too hard for you. It is very near you. As we continue looking, Moses continues in verse 15. He shows we are, out with, we are without self-justification, that we cannot... Do it in and of ourselves, but we need that, that circumcised heart. Verse 15, Moses says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. 
If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away, so if your hearts are not circumcised, and you have not submitted to the salvation of the Lord and to his, his covenant, if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. What Moses once clearly outlined is that God's word speaks clearly because God has made it knowable and he's made it accessible and it's left us without self-justification. Therefore, if you choose, and we know the choice that they make, because they make the choice that all those who are broken in sinfulness make. And they choose to pursue their own law over God's law, their own ways over God's ways. And Moses wants it clearly defined, as clearly as it's already clear, but he wants it even to be spelled out for them, essentially. That God's word is that sure standard by which we are called to live. That when you pursue your ways, you get death. When you pursue God's ways, you get life. In a world in which the only sure thing about standards is that they are always shifting... God's word provides us with the only sure standard by which we can and are called to live. Well, why do we need a standard to live by? Can't we just let everyone pursue what is right and true in their own eyes? The problem is that whether intentional or not, even within a standardless society, we set standards. What does that mean? Consider the onset of woke culture. That mindset which adopts any and all progressive viewpoints so as to be as inclusive as possible, so as to create a safe space, so as to not conform. The problem is that in the name of nonconformity, what do they end up doing? In the name of nonconformity, they conform to one another. And the other problem is that they must adamantly oppose those who do not in which case they then set up a standard by which to live. Which is, of course, a self-justifying standard. But what Moses outlines here is what God's word speaks clearly. And that if, you, if your heart turns away and you will not hear, and you go to worship the other gods then you will not live long in the land. So for us, 
We see all the time those whose hearts will not hear. Now, heart broken by sin will not hear. That is why it's completely by God's grace that we come to know him through his word. Because where our hearts are intentionally deaf, To what God says, he pierces through, he circumcises our hearts so that we have no choice but to hear. And this is what he says as the standard. He calls heaven and earth to witness against you today. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And they may live how? Verse 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. That last verse is so beautiful because it perfectly summarizes exactly how those who are pursuing to live according to God's ways seek to live. And it summarizes exactly how God's word prompts us and moves us and pierces us to live. That God's word moves us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It moves us to obey his voice over our own voice. It gives us a strength, the necessary strength to hold fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. And then it's beautiful in this. That we see that God's word is our unrelenting reminder of God's unrelenting grace. It's the final point on your outline this morning. How does it do that? He reminds them of God's grace to this point. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. The Lord made this promise long ago. And your fathers chose to disobey. And that's what brought us to this situation now. And now these people stand in fear of man rather than fear of God. And Moses says, if you obey the Lord your God, if you love the Lord your God, hold fast to him, you will see the promise fulfilled that your fathers did not because of their disobedience. And then he outlines God's grace so beautifully by pointing out the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all incredibly stories and testimonies of incredibly flawed men who God showed his grace to time and again and used to make his name known and establish for himself a people that would make his name known among all the nations. And this is what God's word prompts us to do. And this is what God's word constantly points us to, an unrelenting reminder of God's unrelenting grace. And how can we know of that? How can we see it? Because 
God's word speaks with clarity. So may we hear it and may we do it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are abundantly thankful for the clarity with which you speak through your word, which is the very reason that we sit here today, because we have heard your word. Although our stony hearts attempted to refuse to hear it, you gave us no choice but to hear it. So as we stand before your word and we come before your word each and every day seeking to gain a greater understanding of you and how you have called us to live in light of who you are, move us now in repentance and obedience. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.